You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now, here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. I have a very interesting article that I'd like to share with you on this morning. This article popped up on my Twitter feed, and it just grabbed my attention um, as the article is talking about the discovery of the cause of SIDS. The article is about a doctor. Her name is Dr. Carmel Harrington. She's a part of a group of Australian scientists. What Dr. Harrington discovered was babies that died of sudden infant death syndrome had a lower level of enzyme that helps humans rouse from sleep. This founding is blowing away the the medical field, the medical industry, because it answers not only certain questions, but also creates the ability to now prevent SIDS. Up until this point, parents have always been told to be mindful of the children's sleep positions, um, also monitor them while they're sleeping. And what's transpired as so many children have died from SIDS, Many parents have struggled with the guilt of the death of their child, feeling as if it was their fault. The article that I'm reading from uh, is posted on inews.co.uk. The name of the article is SIDS, and it says, Scientist who lost her young son claims to have found a way of spotting babies at higher risk of cot death. By the way, cot death is SIDS. So the article goes on to explain that Dr. Harrington had a son. His name was Damien, and he died right before his second birthday from SIDS. Mind you, this was about 29 years ago. Now, three years after the death of Damien, um, Dr. Harrington had a friend whose daughter died. And here, Dr. Harrington was a former biochemist. She had two other children. But with the death of her friend's child, it caused her to now want to quit her job as a lawyer and return to the medical field to begin researching the cause of SIDS. Now, mind you, she had the same experience most parents did that it went through this tragedy. Doctors tell them that they don't know what the cause of the problem is. It's pretty much just a we're sorry, but there's no explanation. And so now the death of these two children put her on this path to search out the cause. The discovery of the low level of this particular enzyme with children who had died from SIDS is a astonishing, it's absolutely remarkable finding because now where all before SIDS was just a tragedy, now children can be tested to check their level for this particular enzyme. That means there's testing that can be done, They mean that there is a a solution that they're on the verge of discovering that could really make SIDS a thing of the past. This has rocked the medical industry. They are so excited by this news, by this understanding, by this finding that uh, they are praising this woman for her work. Now, mind you, what I want to highlight is the fact that this was a 29 year journey that she went on. And this journey was produced as a result of tragedy. 
in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. That means there are so many things that are concealed in life, in, in nature, um, in, in our understanding. It's concealed by God. God's desire is not that it remains concealed. It is the honor of kings to search out a matter. What does that mean? If it's a person, it's going to take an individual to decide, I need to search out what, what has been concealed. There has to be a reason. There has to be a cause. I need to figure out what are the commonalities that's contributing to this particular outcome. Every person that has received honor within humanity is a result of these experiences. And as you see with Dr. Harrington, many times or oftentimes, tragedy is what produces answers. Man has, we just don't care. We go about our daily, day-to-day life and activity until we're now facing something. And if that desire doesn't kick in to have answers, uh, to have a solution, or even to change things, if that desire is not there, if there's no drive there, then things remain as is. But we have people like Dr. Harrington that says, I need to have an answer as to why my baby died and as to why my, my friend's child died. This is what produces kings in the earth. The scripture says that we are a, uh, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal deals with royalty, kingship. We are called to be kings, but kings are experts. They know things. Every king knew about his kingdom. He knows where the border is. He understands his resources. He understands the strength of his military. Um, this is the concept of kingship. There's a kingship anointing that is available for the people of God, but it requires us to search. It requires us to seek. And it's amazing that the first commandment we have, once we come into the kingdom of God after, after salvation, is seek ye first. Seek and ye shall find. Knock. All these are requiring um, effort. It requires research. It requires that frustration, not discovering, but to keep going back. So there has to be some, some uh, persistence, some I will not quit mentality. I'm not satisfied. This is not good enough mentality. That's what it takes to come into kingship. What's very interesting, and I want to connect this thought to David. So we have King David who finds himself as the youth, a part of the family. He is responsible for the sheep of his father, responsible for another man's possession. I know people think that David was in the wilderness as God was preparing him for kingship, but that is not how that works. You can't watch sheep and then govern over people, govern over a nation, be responsible for, for economics, um, the economy, be responsible for the military, for the political politics, for the interaction with other nations. That's not going to happen while you're in the wilderness watching sheep. But we understand there was purpose of David being in the wilderness, is not only to be responsible for another man's property, but David was also out there worshiping God. He was out there playing his harp. We, we, I assume he was probably practicing with his sling as well. So all these were attributes um, 
things that David was developing while they're in the wilderness. But today I want to highlight him in his, his worship. So as David is worshiping God and he's praying to the Father, he comes upon a discovery. Now, I believe this discovery is connected to how he was raised. So let's go back to the story of when David is first introduced. At this point in the story, Saul got himself in trouble with God. God rejects Saul. He tells Samuel, the prophet, to stop praying for him. He says, how long are you going to pray for him? I've chosen someone else to take this man's place. And so he tells him to go to Bethlehem, anoint one of the sons of Jesse. But, but Saul, uh, Samuel says to God, if I go to Bethlehem, if Saul finds out about it, he's going to kill me. So God gives him a plan. When you get to Bethlehem, tell them that we're going to do a sacrifice unto God. So he shows up in Bethlehem, talks to the elders. They call the entire city together. This detail is critical. The whole entire city is called together and they began to uh, do the sacrifice. But then he calls Jesse's family forward, asks him if he has any sons. He lines the sons up. Each one is rejected. He says, you have to have one more child. And he says, yes, I have a son that's in the wilderness. He's watching the sheep. Please understand, David was left in the wilderness. The entire town was called to sacrifice there with Samuel, but David was left out. So imagine when someone goes and gets David, they bring him back into town and you realize the entire town is there, but no one came to get you. What does that tell you about the family? David's family was dysfunctional. He was the least in his family. They didn't see any value in David. They didn't even bother to call him to let him know that the prophet of God has showed up in Bethlehem. He's called all the families and we didn't bother to even come get you. I'm sure this registered in David's mind, but understand this. David spent time in that wilderness and God became his father. And I say this because uh, you could tell there's something there between David and Jesse. I'm not saying Jesse wasn't a good father. It seemed like there may not have been much of a relationship there at all. Just because dad is in the house don't mean that you have a great relationship. I look at his relationship with Saul and his love for Saul. Was that because he was looking for a man figure to connect with? Saul, he marries Saul's daughter. David becomes his son-in-law. And then that entire relationship, Saul is, is making efforts to kill him, throwing javelins at him in two different occasions. And then we see him sending out, uh, if you want a dowry for my daughter, go kill all these Philistines. All that was with a hope that David will be killed. Then he chases him with the army later on. So, I mean, he's, he's spending his life running from the man that should love him as a son, but this man has a death wish for him. So you see the relationship between David and Jesse and David and his father-in-law, Saul. I also want to highlight the relationship with his oldest brother, Eliab, who got angry with him when he shows up at the battlefield. And David's response to his brother is, what have I done to you now? So you see that there is a rift between brothers, which I want to highlight. David latched on to Jonathan. Jonathan became like his big brother, and yet he has a bunch of brothers. You also don't see David's brothers a part of his life once he became king. 
So let's go back to David in the wilderness. This is before he is anointed by Samuel. You see him writing Psalms. And of course, the book of Psalms deals not just with him in the wilderness, but it deals with him in different portions of his life. But David looked at God as his father, not just a deity, not just a God that I worship and I obey and I bring sacrifices with an expectation of exchange. I pray, I worship, I do what's required so I can get what I want from you. But there was a relationship that was built out of him being there in the wilderness where he began to cry out to him as a father. David began to understand something that others hadn't seen before. He began to understand worship. Now, let's point this out. Let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve. While Adam and Eve was in the garden, they never performed animal sacrifice. Not one time. It was not a part of their worship. God will come in the cool of the day and talk to Adam and Eve. After he sinned, after the fall of of Adam and Eve, then we find them sacrificing. So the very first sacrifice is when God, uh, they they covered themselves in aprons of of, uh, leaves and God removes that and put skin coverings on them. God slew that animal. Now the blood from, from underneath the skin is upon them. It covers their sin. This was the very first sacrifice as God is now showing them this will be the system required by which you worship. We see Cain and Abel now performing sacrifices. Abel brings a lamb. Cain brings the fruit of the ground. So now we see this practice of sacrifices. Then we have the Levitical law that comes through Moses, which they establish different sacrifices. So we got the the peace offering. We got the the sin offering, all these different offerings that are required to be given to God. Uh, Food offering, drink offering, different washings that were required. So now for thousands and thousands of years, I mean, you got Adam, you got Seth, you got Noah, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you have Moses, you have Joshua. We got all the judges. We got Samuel. Then we get to David who makes a discovery. What did he discover? He discovered that God had no interest, no desire, no want of the blood of animals and of goats and of doves. And he explains it in this passage here. In Psalms 51, verse 15, David said, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, he figured out God did not desire sacrifices. David said, else would I give it? Thou delightest not in burnt offering. At verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. David came into an amazing revelation After years, I'm talking about thousands and thousands of years of normal practice. This is how we we worship. This is a part of our religion. And David comes to realization that is not what God desires. He wants man's heart. He wants my heart. He wants your heart, your, your heart. That's what he wants more than anything. He doesn't want blood of animals. And because of this reason, David found himself getting access to a place of God. David was able to go behind the veil during a time and error 
where man was not permitted to go. Why? Because he had the heart of a king. He searched out a matter. He said, Lord, I need to understand. Lord, make this make sense to me. And this is what Dr. Harrington did. I don't know if she's a woman of faith or not, but she's a woman that persisted and she, she, she was driven for over 20 years because I don't have the answer. Lord, I need an answer. And I'm not saying that was her prayer, but this is how we have to be as the people of God. What bothers me is people pray once, they pray twice, they think revelation is going to come, but that's not how revelation works. Revelation is not given because you ask. It doesn't even work that way in a school setting. If you ask a professor, a teacher, uh, uh, what is this or that, they're going to tell you to search it out. Only in the searching do we come to the answers that satisfy us. I found that men and women that refuse to be satisfied, there's something that's there. It's not complete 100%. Well, it might be 98%. That's what people tell you. It's 98. What about, we don't need those last 2%, but that person that says, I need those last two. This thing keeps rubbing me. That, that answer doesn't quite fit. It's close, but it's not quite it. These are the kings. These are the queens. These are the people that receive honor in our world. These are the Christians whom which God now honors. The one that laid on his face and I said, I'm going to pray until healing is produced. I'm going to pray until the Lord speaks and gives us direction. If it takes me two weeks, if it takes me a month, if it takes me three months, I'm not getting up until I get an answer these are the people that God respond to. Now, there's a mentality within our church community of simply going to the scriptures or read a passage and say, this is what it says. But have you searched out a matter? Have you searched it out? I found that to really understand the scriptures, I have to understand the book of Genesis. And then I got to understand the book of Exodus. And then I got to understand the connection between the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. And then I got to understand Leviticus. And I got to understand the entire book from Genesis to Revelation. I got to understand the Old Testament and how it's connected to the New Testament. On this topic of divorce, what I have come to conclude is many people read the passage of scriptures, but they will not search a matter out. They will not dig to get the truth, to get, find, find answers. For me, even as a child, before I came into adulthood, as I would begin to hear teachings and people would say um, that the Bible says that if a person uh, gets divorced and they, they marry someone else, then they have committed adultery. The only way that a person can get divorced is in the case of of adultery. If a spouse commits adultery, then you can get divorced. And that has never made sense to me. It's never set well with me. I'm hearing this and I'm saying, okay, uh, adultery in a marriage that, that causes now a person to get divorced, it makes sense, but why isn't that list longer? If Jesus was talking about reasons why a person could get divorced, why didn't he give us a longer list? He should have spelled this thing out for us, not only in a case of adultery, but also in the case of, let's say, abandonment or in the case of, of um, abuse, 
physical abuse. And for some reason, we don't hold verbal abuse on the same level as physical abuse. But let's make the argument all four is justified in God's eyes. Why didn't Jesus explain that? Why didn't he lay that out plain for us to understand? I'll simply say this at this point, because we're going to dig into this at future episodes. The reason is because Jesus wasn't giving us a, a cause. He wasn't giving us a reason why people could get divorced. He was having a much different conversation. One problem is we won't search out a matter. We won't dig until we find answers. To really understand what Jesus was saying, we have to, number one, understand Jewish culture. He was talking to Jews. He was not talking to Americans. He wasn't talking to people a part of uh, uh, this generation, those that live in, in 2000s. Jesus was talking to people a part of his own culture. And if we don't understand that, then a lot of what Jesus said makes very little sense to us. Another problem is we don't understand the Levitical law. I've talked to people about this. Most people haven't even read the book of Leviticus. They won't read through the book of Leviticus. They say it's too much. It's too much to understand. It's too much to grasp. It doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, it's boring. But these are the laws of God as he's explaining. And I find it interesting because people saying if divorce is a sin, that means there's a law that said that it is sinful to commit to, to have a divorce. That means I should find that within the Levitical law. We don't find it in the Levitical law. People don't even know what Levitical law says in regards to the divorce. So when it comes to these topics, it's important that we search out a matter. I can't just say whatever I'm thinking, whatever I feel. I can't take one passage of scripture and build doctrine out of it. I got to understand the context in which the conversation is being had the context in which the, the statement is being made. Sometimes you even got to look to see who's speaking. I've had people quote things to me and I said, but who said it? And they'll go back and look at the scripture and says, oh, I didn't realize so-and-so said that. You got to read the entire story. Or even when the book of, of uh, the books or, or the, the letters that Paul wrote, the understanding that he's writing to specific groups of people that have specific groups or issues within their church. All of this matters to understand the context of what Paul is saying in these letters. God is not crazy. That much I know. I've walked with him long enough at this point in my life to know without a shadow of a doubt, God is absolutely not crazy. To put a limitation on marriage that only in the case of adultery can a relationship now be dissolved. That's crazy. But God is not crazy. So what is God saying in all these passages of scriptures, those that are connected to divorce? We're going to go through those passages because this is the prayer I've been praying for many years. Lord, make this make sense to me. As a pastor, when I stand before people, I always try to make sure that what I'm sharing to them is with accuracy, that it's not opinion. There's no angle to it based on some, some uh, bad experiences I've gone through, things that I've, I've seen. I don't want to bent to any of my sermons, to any of my messages, what I'm relaying as God's word to people. And so my, my prayer has always been, Lord, when I preach, I want my word to be accurate. 
I need it to make sense. But Lord, I need you to make sense. So when I read things that don't make sense to me, I'm one that searches out things. Let me say this in regards to the kingship mindset. As we see with Harrington, as we see with David, as he comes to a conclusion that after thousands and thousands and thousands of years, I think we've been doing it wrong. I think there's way more to the picture. I'm sure those that David spoke to looked at him with the crazy face of, what are you talking about? That's what we do. We, we, we sacrifice animals to God. This is what God requires. Look how he receives it. Fire fell from heaven to consume the offering. God receives it. I know he receives it, but that's not what he desires. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of what God is really saying. What is God desiring? What is he written in his word that we keep missing? There are things that are there in the scriptures that have been concealed. And I'm telling you by the word of the Lord, the Lord said to me in an encounter that I had with him, I wanna show you some things written in the scripture in regards to the divorce. I had never seen it before. I have read these passages many times, but never saw what the Lord revealed to me. It wasn't until I went through my experience of divorce. Um, as I was going through the experience, my prayer was, Lord, don't let this just be for naught. Lord, help me to be a help to others. And the Lord said to me, I'm honoring that prayer. Not just to be a strength to others, I'm giving you the revelation on divorce. I'm going to unveil what has once been concealed. I'm gonna give you a, a gospel and take this to those, my children, who have been hurt, has gone through the trauma of divorce. I've experienced it and now I understand it. So on this podcast show, we're going to share with you some of the revelation that God gave me in regards to divorce. So many erroneous teachings are out there because they only looked at the surface. They didn't dig and seek and search. Revelation has to come from God. It has to come from the Father. So that's what we're going to be digging into on this particular podcast show. Thank you for joining me on today visit my website at DariusGood.com. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.